Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. series called if it ain't one thing it's another for several weeks now and if I ever tell you that I'm going to preach on this subject again I want you to stop me and to put me in counseling (laughs) because the amazing thing is that every week it's almost like every week these things happen to me and the devil is just observing and saying okay let's see how you handle this and what you got to say Sunday you ever been in that kind of situation? I, I'll just tell you some things that have happened this week. I couldn't sleep one night, and I got up about midnight and went down into the kitchen because the first thing I do when I get up in the middle of the night is go look for chocolate. And I heard water leaking, a lot of water leaking, and uh, looked up, and, and there was water coming through the ceiling from upstairs. Now, that'll bless you at 12 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, what do you do? I called the deacons, what I did. Uh, But we finally got that thing shut off, and uh, the ice maker broke. And then we we have a new grand dog, a little puppy. And uh, we all, and we have had, uh, I didn't know this exactly how it worked, but we now get to babysit the puppy also. And with a cute little precious puppy, if it ain't one thing, it's another. And then on the way to church this morning, Lee loses her favorite bracelet somewhere between the house and the church. So I'm just saying... If it ain't one thing, it's another. Has anything ever like that ever happened to you? Just let me see your hand. Well, at least we're all in the same boat. I kind of feel better. But we all fall down. Presidents do. Beauty queens do. Pastors do. You do. We fall down physically. We fall down spiritually. We fall down emotionally. And just like Miss, Miss USA, and what I like about that clip of Miss USA is she fell in front of the world. But she didn't just lie there and complain and whine. Some of you would have. You would have said, I'm not about to get up. Come. You, would have, you would have come up with something like, uh, I got dizzy, I got vertigo, I, I couldn't help it. But she just got up and smiled. So the truth is we all get down. The point is we should get up. And get back up immediately. Last week I told you about my personal plan. And that is never to be down again. I will either be up or I will be getting up. It's a process. George Matheson said, we conquer not in any any brilliant fashion. We conquer by continuing by just doing it, engaging, handling whatever we have to handle. In other words, we don't give up and we don't give in. We go on. 
And when life kicks us, we let it kick us forward. Now, if you were here last Sunday, we talked about four things that keep us down. Number one, we, we stay down when we focus on the problem and exaggerate the consequences. What happens, the reason people stay down so much, the, the, the number one reason is they focus on people, circumstances, and things. And that keeps you down. The people who stay up are those who focus on God and put him in the center of their lives. But it's so easy to focus on the problem. And when we focus on the problem, the problems get worse and worse and bigger and bigger. And, and our imaginations go wild as we, as we focus on the problem. The second thing that keeps us down is we fix blame instead of fixing the problem. We're looking for somebody to blame. Blame makes us lame. The third thing that keeps us down is evading responsibility. One of the smartest, healthiest things you can ever do is take responsibility for your own life, your own problems, your own difficulties, your own assignments, your own hang-ups. Stop blaming and stop whining, but take full responsibility for your life. The fourth thing that keeps us down is that we miss God. Now listen to me. We miss God in the noise of our complaints. In other words, when we are whining and complaining, we can't hear God. Because we learn from Elijah, and Elijah was down. And when we get down, more than anything else, we need to hear from God. When you're down, more than anything else, you need a word from God. God has promised to give wisdom, to give direction, guidance. So we need a word from God. But what we learn with, with Elijah is that God is not in the spectacular, but he is in the simplicity of a whisper. Remember, we read about it in 1 Kings 19. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and the wind after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But listen, after the fire came a gentle whisper, and that was the Lord. See, if you've got all this confusion in your life, this static, this whining, this complaining, this going through it over, see, many times you say God speaks to you in your mind and heart, and if your mind is just swirling with all these, by focusing on the problems and the difficulties, you're not going to hear God. You're going to miss God. And God is the one that you most need to hear from. See, see we expect God to do something like skywriting. He, he hasn't done that. And I don't think he's going to. And he's not going to speak audibly. But he does, the Bible says, speak in a quiet, still voice. But you have to be listening to hear that. 
And last Sunday we were out of time and we were talking about how to get up when we're down. I just gave you four things that will keep you down. But now how do you get up when you're down? And when I'm talking about down, I'm not talking about clinical depression because you need professional counseling and help. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the the things in life that just get us down and discouraged and we stay down too long and we do too much whining and complaining and all that wasted energy and we don't learn from those experiences what God wants us to learn. So how do we get up when we get down? And the, and the first thing and probably the most important thing is to get some rest. And that, when Elijah was down, the first thing that God knew, the, the prescription God gave, he sent an angel to feed Elijah and tell him to go to sleep. And then when the angel returned, fed him again, told him to go back to sleep. God knew that Elijah was worn out. How many of you know when you're worn out, you tend to make the wrong decisions, and when you're worn out, everything looks worse than it really is. Everything is distorted. So sometimes the very best thing you can do is take a nap. And in this hectic, busy world of ours, many times we don't take care of ourselves. When God says he wants his children to get their proper rest, he wants us to eat a balanced diet. I think he wants all of us to go home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and have milk and cookies, but I can't find that in the Bible, but it just seems like that would help all of us. The second thing is choose to never stay down. And that's what I talked about. My personal plan is not ever to be down again, but either be up or getting up. And then... How do, how do you get up when you're down? Let go of the past and let go of the future. you got to do both. You let go of the past and the future and you live today. You seize the moment. Carpe diem. We will, listen to me. We will never stay up as long as we let the failures of yesterday and the fears of tomorrow control our present. And that's where many of you are. You get down so easily and you stay down too long because of something that happened in the past or something you're worried about that's going to happen in the future. And I promise you, the fear of tomorrow will will steal the joy of today every time. I'm going to tell you what you've got to do with the, with the past and the future. Listen to me. It's not, I don't think this is in your notes. You might as well write it on the side. With the past and the future, you've got to bring your past under the pardon of God, the blood of Jesus. You've got to bring all those past sins. You've got to confess those sins, get, repent of them, and get forgiveness. And at that moment, they are all under the blood, never to be brought up again against you. See, any time your past is thrown in your face, it's coming from the devil, not God. God says, I've buried them in the deepest sea. Somebody said, put up a no fishing sign. I've removed them as far as the east is from the west. So what do you do with your past? You bring your past under the pardon of God, the blood of Jesus. What do you do with your future? 
You bring your future under the promises of God. You know, God can heal what you have done to yourself or what others have done to you. And he's promised you that. Bring your future under the promises of God. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, my wife's favorite verse and certainly one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So the way to get up and stay up is to let go of the past and let go of the future and take hold of the present. The way to get up and stay up, let go of the past, let go of the future, and take hold of the present. Psalm 118, verse 24, listen to what it says. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a great verse. Would you say, is it on the screen? Did they put that on screens? Did they? There, say that with me. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Didn't you feel better just by saying that? That's straight out of God's word. Listen to me. Here's the good news. God gave you today. One of the ladies that pulled up at the filling station yesterday, she was saying, I love that song y'all sing. It's, it's the greatest song I've ever heard. I can't think of the, I can't think of the song. But I love it. And she was all struggling because she couldn't think of it. She said, all I know is God loves me so much, he wakes me up in the morning and puts food on my table. Well, I knew the song, and I liked that song too. Because God says, this is the day I have given you. It is my gift to you. You see, God doesn't have to take away your life for you to stop living. He just has to stop giving. He gave you this day. And, and the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. But because God gave you and me this day, we have a responsibility as to what we do with it. Because God has given us this great gift, we are responsible for what we do with the 24 hours God has given us. And remember, the greatest decision outside of accepting Christ you'll ever make is to put God in the center of your life and live that 24 hours with God at the center. But this is our day. A company made a special watch for a very wealthy man. And the watch cost $7 million dollars just a little more than my wife's bracelet. <laughs> or I would be out looking for the bracelet. But here's the interesting thing. This man who's wearing a $7 million watch doesn't have any more minutes than my watch here. It's a, a Nike 49.95. He doesn't have any more minutes than I have. We, see, we, have you ever heard anybody say, I just don't have enough time? 
Hello, you got as much as anybody. You see, look around this building. We're, we all just have 24 hours in a day. We have the same number of minutes, same number of hours. So it's not the amount of time, it's what we do with the time. And your time is given to you one day. What does it say? It says, this is the day. Present tense. Not was the day, not will be the day. This is the day God has given you. Yesterday is gone forever. You can't call it back. You can't go back and do anything in yesterday. Tomorrow is time on the fool's clock. It's an illusion. Today is the only day that you have. If you could get a hold of that, it could be life-changing, especially those of you who struggle with habits and addictions and different things. is because you only have to take life one day at a time. That's all you have. See, we give up because we think we can't do it for 30 days or 90 days or 30 years. You don't have to. You only got one day. See, you can do it for one day. That, that's like dieting. I say that because Baptists seem to be the fattest people. Is that if you think, you know, I've got to be able to diet for the next six months, you, you'll cave in. You won't make it. But how many of you for one day, just one day, could do without chocolate, without any kind of sweets, any kind of bread, and just eat the stuff that's good for you? How many of you could, you could, you know you could do that for one day? Just raise your hand. I'm raising mine. It's about everybody in here. And if you couldn't raise your hand, you need a little counseling. And I can tell you how, how you know if it's good food, if it doesn't taste good. That's good for you. Because the, the, diet, the, the diet that works for me is if it tastes good, spit it out. But you see, we can do it one day at a time. And that's what God has said to us. I give you this day. And let me tell you something very serious, very, very serious. You can't be saved tomorrow. You know, you know I've, I've witnessed to people, and they say, you know, I'm going to think about it, preacher. And maybe tomorrow or the next day, I'll get back with you. And I say, don't bother. What do you mean, don't bother? Because you can't be saved tomorrow. You can only be saved today. What do you mean? Well, you don't have tomorrow. Remember, we talked about that last week. When you get up in the morning, is it tomorrow? No, it's today. It'll be today then. It'll be the present. Tomorrow never gets here. Nowhere in this Bible does it say you can be saved tomorrow. It says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Today. Today is the only day that you have. That's why it's so important that what, that what you do, you do it. You can't witness tomorrow. You can't serve tomorrow. If you didn't serve with us on Saturday and you said, well, I'll serve the next time, you may not even be here. Because you can't do it tomorrow. 
You can't tithe tomorrow. See, some of you are waiting. You know, I'm, I'm going to tithe when I get in better shape financially. You know where that comes from? The devil. Or I'm going to wait till I can afford it. I got news for you. You'll never be able to afford it. If you wait till you can afford it, you'll never tithe. God says, step out there on faith and let me bless you. And I promise you, God will never be in your debt. He will always give you back more than you ever give him. But you can't tithe tomorrow. You can't be faithful to church next Sunday. It's all about today. So if you ever plan to get saved, you ought to get saved today. If you ever plan to tithe, you ought to tithe, start tithing today. If you ever in, plan to serve, you ought to serve today. If you ever plan to witness, witness today. This is the day God has given you. Some of you are waiting until tomorrow to give to the Imagine campaign so we can pay for Tiny Town. Tiny Town is the most successful thing we've ever done. But if you wait till tomorrow, tomorrow is not there. It's an illusion. Do it today. This is the day God's given. And you can't save time. You can't borrow time. You can't store up time. You can't call time out. Time marches on. And the only thing you can do with the 24 hours God has given you is use them. And I would suggest use them for his glory and his purpose. Some of you are waiting on tomorrow to forgive somebody. You're waiting on tomorrow to make a call that you ought to make today. Maybe you thought last night, you know, I need to call mom. Now, it just hit you again. You just now thought of it again because you've already forgotten about it. But you didn't call her this morning. But you can call her tomorrow. Waiting for a tomorrow that never comes. God says, I give you one day. And if you want to get in on my purpose then put me in the center of your life and spend this day loving people and serving people and caring about people and sharing the gospel with people and making a difference in the world. Because this is the only day that you know that you have. And if you need to apologize to somebody, don't wait until tomorrow. Apologize today. If you need to mend a relationship, don't wait until tomorrow. Mend that relationship today. This thing about Christians not speaking to Christians is just, that's just foreign to what this book is all about. Holding grudges, that's foreign to what this book is about. This book says forgive and apologize and mend. And you can't do that tomorrow. You can't mend a relationship tomorrow. You may not have that opportunity. So some are waiting for tomorrow to do what they ought to do today. Some are worrying about tomorrow. That Greek word means to strangle, to choke, 
And worry literally chokes the joy out of today. Somebody did a survey of 3,000 people about today and tomorrow and the future. And they discovered that 94% of the people were anticipating the future and not enjoying the present. They were putting off to one day they would get things together. One day they would be able to do this or that. One day they would have fun. One day they could relax. One day they could plug into their purpose on this earth. Waiting and worrying about tomorrow. I'm going to tell you, worry may be a respectable sin, but it is a sin. And worry brings tomorrow's rain on today's sunshine. Worry is interest we pay on borrowed trouble. Worry accomplishes nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I call, you hear me talk a lot about trouble grace. I believe in at the core of my being that God gives us grace, that when we get in trouble... God gives us the grace to handle the trouble. And he gives us what we need when we need it. He gives us a one-day supply. Because trouble grace is daily grace. You know, you can't get tomorrow's grace. You know, I've looked out there and thought, you know, if that happened to me, I couldn't go through that. But if I got out there... God would give me the grace. It would be there when I needed it. What a comfort. What a promise to know that whatever happens, nothing can ever happen to you, but that God will give you the inner strength, the grace, so that you can make it through, so that you can cope with that. And that's his promise. But it's today's grace. If I add yesterday's problems and tomorrow's worries, I don't have enough grace for today. The grace is for today. We give yesterday and tomorrow to God. Deuteronomy 33, 25. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze, and your strength will equal your days. You get strength for the day. Worry doesn't take the trouble out of tomorrow. But it does take the strength out of today. So don't wait on tomorrow and don't worry about tomorrow. Know that today is precious. Today is passing. Do all you can while you can. Fulfill God's purpose. Live life to its fullest. But today is also providential. Because look what it says. This is the day God hath made. Who made it? God. Who rules the day? God. This is the day God made for you. And I believe nothing can happen to me today that God does not 
know about, care about, and will be with me through it. I don't believe anything happens in our lives but that passes through God. And God either allows it, if he allows it, he gives us the grace to handle it. But he knows what is happening. We talked a lot about Romans 8, 28 in our study of Romans. Because you see, I believe that when you live one day at a time with God at the center of your life, the umbrella over you is Romans 8, 28. Which says, all things that happen in your life, bad or good, God will use for your good. That's amazing grace. That even when somebody does you wrongly, God could even take the sin of someone else to you. Someone can sin against you, and God can take that and turn that and twist that and make it so that eventually it's a blessing in your life. The amazing grace of God. You say, well, what if uh, I get cancer? What, what, if, what if I lose a child in death? No matter what happens to you today, this is God's day. And he knows and he cares, and you can trust him. That whatever it is, he will use it for your good and for his glory if you will trust him and cooperate with him. This is the day the Lord hath made. What else does it say? I will rejoice and be glad in it. You see, some of you who just want to, you know, you just kind of, feel like, you know, you, you tend to complain and gripe and whine. Uh, I know you don't, but your neighbor does. And, uh, but, and, you know, we've tried to give up whining for 21 days, and I hope you're, you're just about there and you've done that successfully. Some of you start over many times, I know, but you cannot whine for one day. You can be sweet for one day. You can be kind and gracious for one day. And that's the only day that you have. It's like our friend John Wood that we buried this week. I mean, he's cutting the grass. And everything is fine except he starts hurting. He has pain. And he goes to the hospital and he never regains consciousness again. And now he's in heaven. He didn't know it, but he had one day. Now, had he known it, he probably wouldn't have cut the grass. You understand? He would have found something more enjoyable for sure. But we don't know. We just have the day. And the psalmist says, since this is the day God gave you, and he gave it to you for a purpose, and he has good plans for you, he wants to bless you, he wants to use you, then rejoice. Why? Because joy doesn't depend upon circumstances. It depends upon God being in charge. Happiness depends on circumstances. You know, if your happenings happen to happen the way you happen to think they ought to happen, then you're happy. 
But joy is a whole lot better than that. Joy is that inner peace, that joy inside, that God is in control regardless of what's happened. I saw that in Margie this week. She's one of the most positive people I've ever known anyway. But even in the loss of her husband, she had that inner peace, that inner joy, and that smile that kept coming out, even though her heart was broken and she was grieving. That's what God says he wants in us because joy, listen to me, joy is not there to take away the pain. Joy is there so you can endure the pain. That's how much he loves you. Joy is regardless of what's happening, regardless of circumstances. Joy is there to let you know you can cope. It's there to let you know that you can make it. To let you know that Romans 8, 28 is trustworthy. And that ultimately good will come out of it. Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. But he had that inward joy that even the cross he endured with joy. Barbara Johnson says pain is inevitable but Misery is an option because of that inner joy. I want you to finish this verse for me. I know you know it. Rejoice in the Lord. I can't believe y'all know that because I've caught some of you not rejoicing. Does it say always, or does it say rejoice in the Lord if things go as you want them to go? Or rejoice in the Lord on good days? No, it says, well, let me give you the Greek. Here's, what, here's how the Greek does that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then what does he say? I will say it again. What? Rejoice. It's almost like Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Doesn't matter what's happening. Does not matter the circumstances. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And then he pauses and thinks, could there be anything that could ever happen to cause me not to rejoice? He says, no, no. So again I say, rejoice. How often? Always. In how many things? All things. And then number five, learn to accept reality. Learn to accept reality. That's why we talked about balance a few weeks ago and building margin into your life and space in our lives. Because how many of you know that life doesn't go exactly like you planned? I mean, it just doesn't. It's just full of surprises and curves and twists and turns. In fact, I can't even get 24 hours to go as I plan. I certainly can't get my life to go that way. You know what I've learned, and, and you know that I read a lot. And When I read a book, and it's a book that's, 
It's just powerful. And I know it's going to change my life in some way. Every time I read a book like that, before I finish the book, I find the testimony of the, the author that the bottom fell out of his life. And out of hurt and tragedy came strength and inward joy. And then the desire to share that and help others. I found that over and over again. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. It doesn't say in the world you might have trouble. Watch out. It doesn't say you could have trouble. Be careful. No, it says... You're going to have trouble. But take heart. Because I've overcome and I am working and using that trouble to bring good in your life. You see, learn to expect the unexpected so you don't get so discouraged when it happens. Because it's going to happen. Expect to be disappointed in life because you're going to be. God, and this may, this may surprise you, but God even gives us some trouble in our lives. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Just like that little puppy, I'm giving a little trouble in his life, her life. Because I'm already loving the little thing. And it's for her own good. if she doesn't do those kinds of things I'm trying to get her to do she may be history <laughs> so I believe God arranges a certain amount of trouble to come into our lives so that he can teach us that we can handle the trouble and teach us to trust him and teach us to depend upon him God has a purpose for trouble Jesus didn't come, listen to me, Jesus didn't come to get you out of trouble. He came to get into the trouble with you and love you and grace you through it. That's why these television preachers that preach health, wealth, and prosperity, and everything's going to be wonderful if you'll just do the right thing and send them enough money is a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. Proverbs 22.3 a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. What does that mean? It means you have a free will and God permits you to make totally stupid decisions and then live with the consequences. But now here's what I wanted to get to. and you're, you're, you're not, You hadn't listened quickly enough, but I'm in trouble already. Is one of the great stresses, one of the greatest stresses in life is that we pretend, we fake it, we wear a mask. We are not who we claim to be. And Baptists are the best at faking it. I think they know the art of faking it. They do it better than anybody else. That's why some of you can sit through a hundred sermons and never be moved because you're faking it. A guy had a... Did, he, he, He'd lost his job, and he was out of money, and he was out of one ads, and he was desperate. And he finally went down to the county zoo and 
asked them for a job. They didn't have anything. But they said, you know, there's one thing. If you want to make some extra money, we, we can let you do. The gorilla died yesterday. And if you'll get in a gorilla suit, and all you have to do is swing on the limb and eat bananas. He said, I can do that. And so he did. And, and he, was, he was desperate. He would not have done that otherwise, but he was desperate. And so, but he I mean, he's worked out to be pretty good. He did a few days of that, swinging on a limb and eating bananas. wasn't a bad deal. Until one day he swung out too far and he landed in the lion's cage. And he started screaming like a girl. And the, the lion started moving toward him and the closer the lion got, the more he screamed. And finally the, the lion got right over to him and the lion said, buddy, if you don't shut up, we're going to both lose our jobs. Well, how many of us wear gorilla suits? We're not who we say we are. And we come to church and we act like our marriage is great, our kids are great, our lives are great, everything is great. In fact, what, we do, what happens on Sunday morning, I know what happens. When you drive into this parking lot and you park your car, you don't get out of the car immediately because you've got to put on your mask. Because what you were at home last week, or maybe what you were in the car, is not what you claim to be here in the church. So you put on the gorilla suit. You wear the mask. And you play a role. See, when you play a role that you're very good and very spiritual, you're very godly, you, you just have it all together. When you play that role, what you're doing is putting on your gorilla suit. Because what does God say? Nobody's good. You're not. Well, I claim to be. See, the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a hotel for saints. Come on. It's not where people gather who are better than others. It's where people gather who want to be better than they are. Sinners. We play a role of a perfect marriage. How many perfect marriages in this church? All of you because you play that role. I just did a marriage seminar. How many of you came to the marriage seminar? Not, well, we had, what, 80 people, 70 people, 50 people, couples. Wonderful marriage seminar. One of the best teachers I've ever heard. <laughs> but you see, most of you were disqualified because you got a perfect marriage. And you know what? I can't prove this. I cannot prove this. I got a feeling that those that, that I had who came to that seminar probably had some of the best marriages in the church. But you put on your gorilla suit. You've got a perfect marriage. Nobody has a perfect marriage. Nobody has perfect, a perfect life. And those legalists, legalists, we got legalists, you know, and that that what they do is point out what's wrong with everybody else and what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with. They put on a gorilla suit. They're covering up who they really are. What does God say? He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else. And the person who claims to have all the answers in a corner on truth is a person who climbs into gorilla costume. And listen to me. Here's the point. Almost all frustration 
and anxiety in the life of Christians comes as a result from the refusal to being who we are. Trying to be more than we are. Trying to appear we don't need anybody else. We don't need help. We don't need friends. We don't need this. We don't need that. When God has so much that he wants to do in your life, but he can't do it as long as you hide behind the mask. You know, if we could rip off our mask, if we were to be honest, when, when every Sunday in the church would give an invitation, people would be in every aisle. But we got too many people who say, well, if I go down that aisle, they might think I got something wrong in my life. I know something's wrong in your life. That's no secret. And to be honest with you, you better come on down here because we'll think it's worse than it is. So just go ahead and acknowledge that you are sinners. That we're sinners in need of help. We need the word of God in our lives because only this word changes our lives. We need one another because we can't make it by ourselves. We need help. We need guidance. And I need more time. I can't ever get through. But let me end with this. And I apologize to Sunday school teachers, but the, the, this crowd just couldn't get it quickly enough. A British soldier got weary in the battle. He got down and discouraged and couldn't get up. You've been there. And he bailed out. He bailed out. He went AWOL and he had an idea that somehow if he could find his way to the, to the ocean, he might could get on a, a boat and go back home. And he's out there in the middle of the night and he bumps up against a post and he thinks maybe this is a signpost. Maybe this will give me a hint of where I am and I could find my way to the water. And so he climbs that post and he strikes a match in that darkness and he holds that match up and he looks into the face of Jesus Christ. He has climbed a crucifix. But when he saw the face of Christ, it broke his heart. And he remembered that Jesus didn't give up. That Jesus stayed on the cross. And he thought, you know, because he hung on, I can. And he climbed down and he went back and re-engaged in the battle And I'm telling you, darkness will come over your life at one time or another. But if you will strike the match of hope and look in the face of Christ and to know that because he didn't give up, you don't have to give up either. In fact, he didn't give up for you so that you wouldn't have to. So that you can cope with life, whatever life throws at you, whatever life hits you with, you can make it. He gives you grace, trouble grace, and he gives it one day at a time. How do you stay up? 
by looking at Jesus. Look at him. For in Christ we are more than conquerors. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 